0: Welcome back to show number three. We uh, have, uh, this is number three, and we've got a guest, Stephen Chalmers. He is um, a friend of mine, and also he's retired deputy uh, dep- not deputy chief. He was a police chief for the city of Durham, and I've asked him to
1: to join us. But before we
0: get started with with him, uh, my name is B.J. Council. This is un Five O, um, and we uh UN50 helps to teach individuals how to interact safely with law enforcement specifically black and brown folks Uh, and in this moment we're just having we do this so we can figure out how we can help police reform and have discussions candid and raw discussions about police brutality where policing needs to go in 2020 and, and beyond and talking about the events and what we believe can help folks uh, navigate this moment. So before we get into having Steve here, he's going to talk to us about what it was like being, he wasn't the first black officer that joined, but he was one of the early uh, black officers and we wanna because we've been kind of talking about slave patrols as it has moved, that law enforcement is entrenched in, in, in that from that, that point and, and, and it's a uh, what we recognize is law enforcement at least needs to acknowledge that, and so we're just doing a little history about that, and we want to talk about what was it like to be one of the first black officers, and what that meant for the community, and, and that type of thing. But what I want to do with my host to have them reintroduce themselves real quick, and then we're going to kind of start off by just kind of going, "What you've been doing the last two weeks," and then we'll get into talking to uh, to Steve. So uh, Harmony, so we hadn't seen you in a couple of weeks. So what's been going on?
1: You know, not a whole bunch. Um, Unfortunately, I did um, or I made the mistake of saving majority of my master's coursework for this last week. So I've got about four-ish weeks to complete this week. Um, But otherwise, I'm doing great. Hopeful that I'll uh, not procrastinate for this next summer session. But it's so hard. It's summertime. Like, who wants to be doing schoolwork in the summer? I don't know. I know. know. Keep
0: hope alive, Harmon, because I know you're going (laughs) to procrastinate.
1: (laughs) Oh, and also, too, I wanted to tell you that my, uh,
0: I don't know whether you remember meeting my mentee, Zanae, uh, at the event. She listened to the podcast and she has t- told me to say, "Tell Harmony I love her." She said she was so awesome, so she was very uh, impressed with you, your honesty, your candor. Um, but she said, "Please make sure you tell Harmony that she just really enjoyed hearing you talk." So, I'll oh, like, oh,
1: my whole heart—I have like goosebumps talking. Yeah, I, I will. Always so nice. Yeah, cool.
0: So, what's up, Joe? You're my favorite nephew because what?
2: I'm the only nephew. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what you been up to, Drew?
2: Nothing, just work and trying to um, find ways of things, that I, what I could do to to kind of take what I'm taking from this experience to my school later in the fall and trying to prepare for the fall. Uh, this is my last year in school, so I'm trying to figure out how it's going to look. Will we go back to campus? Well, if we go back, what will it look like? So just trying to prepare myself for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's been a lot going on for me, actually. It's been kind of interesting. People calling about doing U.S. I have an on-site presentation coming up this week at Orange Recycle Center. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. So anybody got any thoughts on, we, since we have last talked, anybody got any thoughts on Mr. Brooks down in Atlanta? The killing mm-hmm. of Mr. Brooks. Any thoughts on that before we get started?
1: Um, I just think it's interesting how, like, fast... like the judicial system has been moving in that specific case Um, just because I think that typically when we see these types of police shootings involving you know suspects that one are inebriated or two have um, been I guess accused of like reaching for a weapon like it's a lot slower in the response time Uh, but then we see the cops who murdered Breonna Taylor are you know still walking free so to me it's just interesting to see how like some parts of the country are starting to mobilize and move a lot faster, just as just as we've seen um, some of these Confederate monuments being taken down. So I guess it's almost like how much of it is smoke and mirrors and how much of it is like substantial, sustainable change mm-hmm. that we can depend on over time. So, mm-hmm. you know, I know a lot of people are celebrating that, you know, the guy had been charged. But I guess for me, the the question is, he's been charged. But now what? what does that right. mean for mm-hmm. you know how we select the jury um, what does that mean about how we prosecute other police in the future so I don't know for me it's 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 made me feel more confused more so than affirmed right. just because it it seems like a big like smoke and mirrors type of thing right
0: I get that what about you Drew? any thoughts on the Brooks in Atlanta
2: um, something that kind of stuck out to me about this specific one was how quick the media pushed out, um, I don't know if y'all saw, but the Wendy's that he was at got burnt down not too long after um, the incident happened. So the, the media kind of pushed out that it was a Caucasian female, y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a Caucasian, yes. Caucasian female burned down the Wendy's. So um, yes. it's I think that incident kind of brought my eyes to how many Caucasian um, voices are speaking up for um, the issues that are going on um, in today's society um, and how quick... African-American voices are quick to point out that it's not us doing these things um, so that I'm just reading a lot of articles about that it kind of just makes me think a lot. Yeah
0: yeah I just heard saw something today as a matter of fact and I don't know I guess I shouldn't really say but it sounds like the white female may have been in with the with Mr. Brooks they're they're almost like trying to connect the dot to Mr. Brooks and the white female and in, in the Wendy's have you seen that did you see that? Have you yeah. seen that? Okay, so maybe maybe that's not true. So, all right, so we'll go ahead and get to the guest. Steve, you got any comments on Atlanta uh, with Mr. Brooks? Any any thoughts on that?
3: Well, I think that you pretty much have touched on a lot of the things and um, to get to really what's prompting the type of responses that we're getting right now. And uh, I think there are a number of things that are going on. Uh, first of all, um, as uh, Drew's indicated, uh, You've got uh, a lot of people of the other persuasion who are actually stepping up and also walking hand in hand, uh, even politically. People on both sides of the aisle have said, "Look, this stuff is just crazy, it's senseless, and we can't take it anymore." Then you have to look at also the protests as well as the violence that I don't necessarily agree with, but we knew it was going to come to that. Right. So I think a lot of that, is out of, a lot of that is out of fear because a lot mm-hmm. of folks don't want that to, come to their community, so mm-hmm. they're they are being forced to step up and take some some very quick and decisive uh, measures to basically show that they're on board. Right. So I think that even with the monuments and things like that, the time is now for change, if we're gonna ever have change, uh, because people are really taking notice and whether their concerns are legitimate or not, uh, they know what they have to do in order to, to make this thing right. Right, right,
0: right. Thanks. Thanks for that. Um, so we want to just kind of go ahead and get, get into that. I think I mentioned before we started out when we our first podcast and was about slave patrol and how, you know, law enforcement is entrenched in that and then civil rights Gen, Gen Z and the millennials is this civil rights. I also wanted to bring Steve in, because he and I were talking about you know eventually being hired on a police department. I mean it's the the statistics are seventy-seven percent white across the country is what law enforcement is made of. And the percentage of African Americans continue to hover at just 11% uh, on, on all, across this country. So, just wanted him to kind of give us some history as to what that looked like when he joined. You know how that had an impact on on what he was seeing in the com- community. So, Steve, kind of, I'll let you. And then you know, you guys ask him questions and stuff like that. So, Steve, go ahead.
3: Well, you know, one thing that I can speak to that I think was. Uh, an advantage for me and really helped me along uh, uh, during my tenure in, in law enforcement and certainly as a police chief was the fact that when I came on the police department, even though I was not among the the first African Americans, I had an opportunity to work with some of the first ones that were hired uh, in the Durham Police Department uh, on in patrol as well as um, as a detective. Uh, so I was was able to really really uh, build um, on their legacy and have an opportunity to work hand in hand uh, with those individuals. Some of those were part of one of the first community relations uh, programs that the Durham Police Department started uh, during the 60s, basically to quell some of the the violence and the things that were going on in the community, uh, dealing with some of the things that we're dealing with right now. Uh, Mm -hmm. So where we are right now is certainly where we've been many times before uh, during the history of law enforcement. So, this is nothing so, new. So,
0: so, let me ask you this. So, you're saying that back then they, they created a community piece to deal with the unrest in the black community? Is that, is that what, what? What did I just hear? You said that about the community oh, that relations was, piece.
3: Yeah, that, that basically was during the 60s, during the civil rights. Uh, uh era they started uh, a community relations program with african-american officers and their responsibility was to go out to create better and more positive relations uh with with the community so yeah. i think we've had uh some some good models some good programs over the year over the years but again uh and i feel like harmony was saying uh you know is is is, is this just kind of some lip service is something that they you know gonna uh, act like they want to do or do, a, you know, talk talk to talk, but not walk to walk. And until things kind of calm down a little bit, do we go back to business as usual. And I think this what we have to make certain with uh, right now is that that's not the case. Police reform has happened over and over and over, uh, but we continue to deal with the same problems uh, again and again and again. So we, we have to kind of, uh, especially as it relates to policing, we need to kind of make certain that is the purpose of police to control and oppress or to protect and serve? Right. Uh, and, and speaking, you know, with the, the slave patrols, you know, they was basically to control and oppress uh, individuals and keep slavery uh, in place and, and things like that. Uh, but over the years, you know, what we have to look at now is not just reforming law enforcement, but also making certain that there is a transforming of law enforcement. Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
3: so mm-hmm. I think that's the question. And how, how do we do that? I mean, I think we know if we, if we looked at the Senate committee and all of the things they're talking about, we know what we need to be doing, but where is the accountability? Um, and also, you know, again, is are we just going to look at law enforcement? And I think that's gonna be, that's going to be the, big, the big issue right there. Right. Because we what we need to look at is not just reforming law enforcement, but also the whole service delivery plan and model that we use to serve our communities. Uh, as long as as long as we don't improve the conditions and the, and and provide the support that people need, the police and community are going to always be at odds. The, the black and brown community
1: they're going right. to always
3: be at odds because people just the people's positions right Steve you and
0: I talked and that was one reason I wanted to bring you on because one of the things that you said I thought was really profound w- that you said was that uh, they finally hired black officers so you got on the bus right and right. so they let so they let black officers on the bus and then in some instances they started letting black black officers drive the bus. but then you're in your community and you guys you know, are identifying whatever those issues are which were possibly social issues. But they didn't give you guys the tools to do that. And the only tool law enforcement has is to make arrests. So kind of t- that's kind of what I want to talk about. Now, you, you know, the black officers were all on the bus, saw stuff, but you didn't get the tools that you needed to deal with what mostly was not stuff that needed to be dealt with with law enforcement.
3: Uh, right, I Right. Mean, and, and I think that was really, really the purpose for community policing, was to really go into communities, uh, develop uh, communication develop trust, develop understanding, and also identify exactly what the needs of the communities uh, were. And once we've done that, then what we needed to do was also be able to um, bring to bear the resources and the support that that uh, the community needed. This is one of the things that we did with the Partners Against Crime uh, initiative back in 92 and 93 in Northeast Central Durham. Um, and the one good that that is a model, uh, I think that served us well. And I think we've kind of moved away from it some. And I think that we need to, to, to really uh, move back and, and re examine that. But this was not just community policing, it was community empowerment. And there's a difference because what we need to understand is that we work at the will of the people and that uh, we are public servants, but we, we work for the community, whether we elected officials, appointed the law enforcement, regardless, we work for the, to the, for the will of the people. Uh, and with the Northeast Central Durham model, what we did was we brought, basically brought in the community leaders and basically sat with them and let them basically identify what their needs were. As, and then the, the mayor and the city council at that time, the city manager at that time, actually uh, appointed a representative from every city department to basically meet with them and develop a plan based on their needs. So if it was recreation, you had parks and rec. If it was housing, you had the housing department, but you had all of the representatives there because that's that's what's going to make the difference. Because if, 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 if you start to look at what the root causes of crime and, and, and you start to realize that these are the things that law enforcement uh, does not have the tools to address. So, you're going to have to make certain that you have the necessary resources and the support to go in to address the things that that cause people to actually look at crime as an option, as a viable option to their lifestyle that they're living.
0: So, okay, I guess uh, yeah, I'm, that's exactly the, that's kind of, I kind of really don't, I mean, I want to bring you back to talk about that. I'm kind of wanting to figure out what was happening early on you know, when you were doing that, you know, that early part of the developing the relationship in the 60s, you know, you know, when you identified those issues that they had, you know, did you have support from, from, you know, the white administration and the police department in order to address those issues? That's kind of what I'm looking for, because I, you know, obviously I'm familiar with, with that part. I try, Mm -hmm. I need some, I want to try to talk about this history before that, because I'm going to eventually bring you back so we can talk about community Mm -hmm. policing, partners against crime, but I kind of want some, some groundwork. On the front end, as to those early stages of community relations with black when black officers first got here,
3: did you get the necessary
0: stuff you needed to to help that relationship
3: from the white administration? Well, keeping in mind, you know, I, I was not here in the '60s. I came, I came in, I came in '75. Right. So I came in after that. Those officers and all of those programs,
1: mm-hmm. basically,
3: from you know, uh, of their. This group of officers really laid the groundwork okay. to improve relationships um, you know with, with the uh, with the black community okay. uh, and they primarily worked in those particular areas just again to uh, make certain that those individuals had a voice. Now I think okay. that that was pretty much the, the gist of, of, of that program is mm-hmm. making sure that people who looked like them right. that they felt comfortable talking with and they okay. could con- bring that information back to the to the elected officials to basically uh, let them know what their thoughts were
0: okay you guys got any questions because well, I, I think you just said something that, you know that is definitely profound as this police reform goes on we need the culture is going to change when more folks inside these police departments looks like the communities that they serve you guys got any questions for Steve or comments on everything he said yet
1: I just think he had like a couple of really, really poignant points when, you know, when we talk about crime, I think it's really easy to just assume that we are just lawless individuals that are deviant, which in a lot of cases is, is not the truth. And I think that because we've been fed this narrative for so long, It makes it really, really easy um, to vilify people that commit crimes and, you know, while, you know, some crimes are just heinous and don't really make a lot of sense to people like you and me who, you know, have the tools necessarily to emotionally regulate or get the resources that we need when we're lacking. you know we, we don't really see the other side of why crime happens and so for me it's really interesting to hear somebody in law enforcement actually acknowledge that it's not necessarily just that we're trying to rein in lawless individuals but we really have to look at the whole system of why people commit crimes and also how we can you know intercept before it gets to that point mm-hmm. um, And what was also interesting to me, Steve, was when you mentioned that, you know, in the 60s, they decided to increase police presence to decrease crime. So for me, that, you know, I just, I never understood that connection of, you know, in order to keep people in line, let's get more police officers, let's have more harsh punishments. I mean, even in states where the death penalty is legal, we don't necessarily see a decrease in violent crime or premeditated crime. Um, So, you know, my question, not necessarily to Steve, but just in general is, why do we always think that increasing police presence is what keeps people safe versus you know affordable housing or equitable school systems or even just access to like food and water and equitable energy you know so i don't know hearing that for me was really reassuring because like you know knowing steve um knowing the work that he's done in the community um You know, I think that it's a testament of his beliefs, but then it's, the question is, well, where are the other officers? You know what I mean? Like, yes, we do have a more progressive chief, but we saw before C.J. Davis got in, there was a really big difference between when Steve was chief and when, what was his name, Jose... Lopez, Lopez, when he was chief. I mean, that was, I mean, it's just such a vast difference. Um, And you know, how many of those officers that came in under Lopez are still, you know, perpetuating the system of continued oppression and not, not serving. So I just had a lot of thoughts, but Steve, um, I wish that you would just go back into the force. I understand that you're (laughs) tired and probably don't want to, but um, you know, your words are just so impactful. And I think anybody that knows you knows that this is, you know, just how you, how you live your life. And that's important to me to know that we have people like you out here that actually think that way.
3: And, and thank you very much, Harmony, for, for the uh, the compliments. Uh, and, and I guess, you know, again, BJ, maybe, it may be uh, a conversation for later, uh, but you know, Harmony, you're right on, you're right on on, on target uh, with what you're talking about. And, um, and if I just kind of take a moment is that, Back during the time when I was police chief, again, I had to make certain that my philosophy of policing was the philosophy of policing for the entire organization. And I had to make certain that regardless of which officer in the organization they stopped and asked about the philosophy, they spoke my words. Hmm. And I think uh, I, I got a lot of criticism during my tenure from elected officials, as well as from some of the people in the business community about having too many soft programs. Because Mm -hmm. my philosophy is that we got, we have to get in the community, we have to talk with people, we have to find out what's going on, what the needs are, and help connect them to resources. And when you see a community improve, when you see people uh, improve, they will help to really police themselves and their communities. Mm -hmm. But if, if you leave them in that devastated and uh type of situation where you have substandard housing uh they're underemployed um uh, all of the things that go along with poverty That's living in poverty then again your role for the most part is going to revert back to enforcement and um i did not yield to my philosophy even under the the criticism i kept my community policing programs going i kept the officers in all the public housing communities and when i left public housing had the lowest crime rate in the city and it was a it was a testament to the fact that we had people who were not there specifically just to lock folk up and they were developing relationships and they were helping people
2: Mm
0: -hmm. yeah exactly drew you got anything comment
2: Oh, there was something I wanted to say to so a point he made a long time ago, but he <laughs> you know, just said too, but the thing about um, how they place police officers in, um in, in black communities to as a, I don't want to use this word, but as like pawns to say like, oh, we have black cops, so y'all should be okay. Um, that, that <laughs> stuck to me, that kind of stuck to my brain a little when you said that, because it's, I don't know how I would react as um a citizen just to know that they, they were placed just for that. If I would know that, I don't know how different the people, the citizens would have taken that Um and to the point you just said i think your methodology behind policing is needed in a lot of communities and I don't, I don't see that a lot and i commend you for the work that you did during the time that you spent as chief mm-hmm.
0: yeah we, we we would tease steve he just it's community policing just come under his ears and his shoes they squeak so much he's just oozing with community police runs through his veins and he did get a lot of flack when he was there about that and um
1: but it worked I mean, it's,
0: I mean we got to talk to the folks in the community and and be a part and hear what they say. because I remember when we when you know so Steve's been talking about partners against crime the one of the things that Steve said that what we found out if it's, if', it's, if you really doing community policing instead of instead of policing the community and what we found out was they really didn't want police they wanted to take care of housing you know abandoned vehicles boarded up Property around there, you know, those type of lighting had nothing to do with law enforcement. So when you go in and ask com- people what do they want, we police go in and ask a community what they want. They don't want anything that we got to offer, which is cool. And so what that that uh, program, Partners Against Crime, that uh, is the foundation. Uh, his mark will be on this police department for into infinity. And it's because of that work that he and um, Ch- Chief Jackie McNeil did, and 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 Steve promoted that that we have the kind of relationship here with law enforcement in Durham that we have is because of him.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, think I think you're right, BJ, because one of the things that, uh, you know, when we, we would meet with community, out uh, the community, and we would ask them to give us maybe a top 10 list of their needs and, and what, what we need to address in their community. Crime was always about halfway down the list, never at the top, never, never. at the top, regardless of how much crime was going on in the community. It was always jobs, it was always housing, and really always at the top was really activities and programs for kids. So, you know, so (laughs) when when you can provide these types of things and understanding really, look, these are the kind of things that we need, but if you do not provide those real initial needs of the community, then what you're doing is moving back to the fact that you are treating them as if they are really kind of secondary citizens they're, they're not as important mm-hmm. as other people in other communities so when you start to treat them that way you're going to get resistance and you're not going to have the best type of relationship yeah. so mm-hmm. again if we're going to see a difference we're going to have to look at police reform certainly there are some organizations that need to be reformed there are some organizations that need to be just disassembled because of the racist and the biased manner in which they provide, provide uh, police servicing, but yeah. at the same time, with police form, what we're going to have to do is basically come up with consistent pra- practices and programs and things that needs to, need to be actually um, pushed and made part of every organization. And once that's done, there's got to be some accountability. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, what and again, we're speaking ju- that's just law enforcement. But what we need to do is also make certain those top one through five things that people need in the community as well as, as from crime uh, crime on down are uh, addressed through our e- uh, elected officials and other folk need to be accountable held accountable. Our, our school system need to be held accountable you know Absolutely. our housing department all of the all of the needs of that community because basically BJ you know like I do every three months when we would have to go before city council and talk about the crime rate, nobody ever talked about any other departments or what they were doing the or who was telling <laughs> other departments. Right. Right. So we are the only ones that we, we, that, that, that are getting a report called right and yeah. um, you know, yeah. and, and again, that that is the thing that we need to folks to understand is that this is not yeah. to be a effort it's going to have to be a comprehensive uh, effort once we go into the community the entire service delivery plan needs to be revamped yeah. and everybody needs to be held accountable
2: yeah
3: what are, gonna, what are you guys going to say something
1: i was just gonna say like you know in social work we have this This idea of self determination, which is basically honoring and valuing people's ability to one govern themselves, but two to actually speak to what it is that they need. And I think that a big issue that we have in public service space is not just law enforcement. But as Steve was saying, it's a very comprehensive system reform that needs to happen. People in these positions, they come most of the time from a place of privilege and they assume that they know what's best for other people. Um, And that's why you see when we do like community based participatory research, which is which is the type of mental health research um, that I had done, you just see a, a big difference. You see a different level of engagement and you also see that you're actually able to speak to the things that people need in order to make a substantial change. And you know steve was also speaking about like the um the living conditions that people have i don't know if anybody has ever been you know hungry for an extended amount of time i get really irritable if my like power is off for a couple hours because of a storm can you imagine this being your everyday life you know it, it makes sense to me that people are a lot more reactionary in these circumstances and i think that we all would be but it's so easy Um, to judge from a place of privilege Um, and you know I think that we just have to keep that in mind is for privileged and educated individuals that have had you know definitely our experiences with racism and prejudice but the way that we are able to exist and move throughout the world merely because we have you know some amount of insight to me is 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 impactful and it's our duty to really make sure that other black and brown folks in these impoverished communities have the same ability to be heard and to be valued and you know at the very end of the day to just be respected as as human beings. Human beings.
0: Yeah. Totally. What was the study that you did? I mean what was that what is that
1: um so it's called community-based participatory research it's basically a type of research that you do um and it's you go into communities and you ask them what are the things that they're struggling with Mm -hmm. how would they like to structure the research study so you know in studies we kind of have this idea of what research is supposed to look like Mm -hmm. um and so what we do instead is we ask them how should this look um one big difference between like white people that we um Interview about mental health and Black people that we interview about mental health is the way that we talk about the word guilt or anger. The way that we um, attribute like the adjectives of what these these words mean to us is very different, right? So you know when we're using terms that I would say, I guess identify more with white people then we're going to miss some black folks simply because they can't relate to the type of language that we're using um so that's that's basically what community-based participatory research is and i think that that's also what you were saying um is a part of the partners against crime is actually honoring people as the authors of their own stories the writers of their own stories and giving them the the ability to self-determine um and Really make those choices about what is important to me, what is not important to me and where Mm -hmm. my community needs the most help and like Steve said, it's never crime. It's, you know, feeding (laughs) our children. It's having, you know, access Mm -hmm. to a damn school bus that's safe and can get our kids to school. Did you guys hear about um, the people camping out in front of the police department right now. No. Yeah. Yeah. you, you heard about that, Steve. Yeah. So they basically are saying that the way that the city is allocating uh, their city budget is, is not fair. And we need to reallocate more, more money towards black and brown communities. Um, so these same people that were protesting to, you know, lock up the officers that killed George Floyd and Breonna Taylor um, are now out here saying that's not enough. Mm -hmm. we need, we need money and we need resources so that we can make these substantial changes in our neighborhoods. Like grocery stores, you know, access to Mm -hmm. fresh and healthy foods. There's no reason. I mean, I can't even think of the closest grocery store to McDougal Terrace or Cornwallis. Like I I physically can't even place it because there really aren't grocery stores. You know, they have those mini marts, but Mm -hmm. if you think of like the, the price markup, right to be able to go to a mini mart versus going to a food line and getting a gallon of orange juice i mean it's not okay. something that we think of because you and i can afford an extra 50 cents to a dollar for a gallon of orange juice mm-hmm. whereas you know the mom in McDougal terrace has to make the choice between eating and keeping the lights on on a regular basis so yeah. you know it's it's this big systems thing and i think that that's why i get so frustrated it's because you know absolutely law enforcement needs to be re reforms, like Steve said, and, you know, put together again, I think, um, but it doesn't just stop there. So how do we continue the conversation to hold everybody accountable? Because that seems to be a really big thing today is accountability. And what does that look like?
0: Right. Right.
2: Yeah. I had a question but I want to ask later. I oh, good. I, it was just, um, I want to ask, Mrs. Steele, like how different do you think this generation will kind of take, I know you, you've seen this before and how people are reacting to police brutality and stuff. How different do you think this time is or what do you, why do you think this time is different?
3: Well, one of the things I think that, that is different now is that what, has, what happened with George Floyd has been happening for years and years and years. And they've had video recordings. They've had, I mean, everything that we had in this particular situation. But, but I don't know. This it was a tipping point for some reason, uh, that, that this particular situation, and I think that just that fact that they held that camera there for almost 10 minutes just watching, that was something that Americans could turn their heads to. And then once they really, really, it really sunk in, I think it's, uh, even the people who have turned their heads to it in, pa- in, in past situations start to realize, yes, this has been happening and we can't continue to allow this the way this makes us look. So again, the momentum is there. What we need to make certain is that we take advantage of it. We take advantage of the opportunities to bring people together to have these conversations. And I mentioned earlier, not just community and policing, but community empowerment. The community needs to be involved in every aspect of this change, from law enforcement to the the, 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 uh, city delivery of service to our our county uh, agencies to deal with health and all of the different issues. But pretty much, again, we need to make certain that we have good leadership from the community that's going to step up and that we support them. But again, this entire system has to be revamped and changed. And we're going to have to move forward to make certain that every system is revamped. And and that again, there is some accountability and that every quarter we have long-term, short-term goals and everyone is responsible for putting together a plan coming up with their budget. Now, when we start talking about defunding, defunding law enforcement is something that it should happen over the course of time. I mean, realistically, it doesn't make sense that it would not. Because if you're doing the other things that you need to do, you're going to have less need right. for more and more law enforcement. When 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 police chiefs start to ask for more money for more officers, that means something else is failing. It's Not just law enforcement, it's the other aspects of, of a community, the other service delivery parts that, that are not doing what they need to do. Because what drives crime is the conditions are getting worse. Yeah. So again, that so defunding police should take place, but it should be a natural process that goes along with providing services and improving people's lives and improving communities. If you right. do those things, that that defunding would take care of itself.
0: All right, cool. We're going to be talking about abolishing police and defunding on our next show, so I don't want to. But yeah, I, I appreciate that comment because I'll be able to have something to jump off of when we start our our next show. So. Steve, you got anything, last words? I'm going to go ahead and uh, I appreciate you being here with us. I think you've, uh, especially for my Gen Z and millennial, you've given them some some information, you know, from uh, definitely from the perspective of being a police chief, you know, what that looks like and, and how we need to, how creating community police and, and the work that's done isn't anything that can't be done now. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it, 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 this is not, it's not rocket science. It's just Getting people to, to the right folks at the table and the right other folks, housing, education, and holding them accountable—they they all have to be there. So it's just not difficult. So, um,
3: any last words, Chief? Well, I, I think we hit we're hit it right on. And if we're speaking, you know, specifically for law enforcement, again, as we you said earlier, we have got the right people on the bus. We've got the right people in, in this in the right seats. And starting about 25, 30 years ago there was a push to start looking for more and more people of color uh, to lead organizations, law enforcement organizations. So we have a lot of capable people who actually understand community. So Mm -hmm. we, and they're driving the bus. The main thing is, again, is the support going to be there? Uh, The resources going to be there. And again, are we gonna listen to the community? And again, if, if we put those pieces in place, and if the elected officials stand up and take notice and agree that, look, we're gonna fix this problem once and for all, because every 20, 30 years we go through a reform, that's that's ridiculous. And then yeah. we end up back in the same place that we are. So again, yeah. we're just hoping and praying that, you know, we can really take advantage of this opportunity and George Floyd's uh, death would not be in vain. Yeah, all right, cool. You guys uh, got
0: any final words on, on uh... Steve?
2: Um, I guess I would thank you for the words that you gave. I kind of was a sponge to this episode and just kind of took everything that you said <laughs> and listened um, and took mental notes about the things you were saying. So I appreciate you talking to a youngster like me so I can pass these words on to the other youngsters.
1: Well, you're the 50th <laughs> young man. Oh, okay. <laughs> and yeah. Steve, you were just such a radical, I think that you're a radical, revolutionary type of person and such a strong yet gentle voice. Um, And, you know, I think a lot of times now we we don't, we don't hear that a lot. You know what I mean? Somebody that's calm and gentle, but very direct. Um, and I can always tell that you speak from a place of love and from a place of really wanting things to be different. So I'm, I'm just thankful to know you thankful that people like you have existed in the police force um, here in Durham. And, and I'm hopeful that these type of attitudes won't be something that we need to throw a party about, right? Because it'll be more just routine and more natural. Um, and, and I definitely credit you with a lot of just the changes that we're seeing constantly within the, Durham Police Department. So as always, super impressed and and really thankful to know you and be able to do this work with you.
3: Thank you, and it's been a pleasure to work with you, and um, I feel very comfortable knowing that we have people like you in place who are concerned, who are dedicated to the cause, and they're going to be out there working, you know, uh, for, for our people.
0: Cool. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Dave. I really appreciate it. So uh, follow us on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter, and uh, be well, be safe, and peace.